0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Breachside Broadcast, home of the finest Vox casting either side of the Breach. On today's episodes, we return to the story of Kirai Ankoku and her quest for vengeance. How far will her quest take her, and what other beings will she unwittingly bring along on her journey? We'll find out in the conclusion of The Past is Never Dead. Right after this word from our sponsor. This episode of the Breachside broadcast is brought to you by the Qian Gong, now under new management. The Qian Gong is a perfectly ordinary tavern in the Little Kingdom district of Malifo. Stop on by enjoy fine liquor, fine furnishings and even finer company. Tell them Renzo sent you. It took a long time for Karaya to shake off her encounter with Jack Daw. She looked over her shoulder every so often as she wandered through the city, collecting the equipment and artifacts she'd need. She visited a warehouse in the industrial zone and ran her fingers along the outer wall, silently counting. She pried a brick from the mortar and grabbed a slim package before putting the brick back into place. As the day wore on, Guild Guardsmen appeared more and more frequently. She was forced to flip between alleyways and stores to avoid capture. Ducking into a dingy store in the slums that had filthy windows, a sticky floor, and the distinct aroma of old milk, she barely managed to dodge a contingent of Guild Guards. She couldn't kill them all. Another inconvenience. Incense, ground bone, and saltpeter. she told the shopkeep. The woman turned to grab the items and said, Have you seen the guild and their little show of power out there? Hmm. Karai kept an eye on the door. We don't need this. Do they plan on making business even more difficult? She grumbled as she dug through a disorganized crate behind her counter. Before she found what she was looking for, she popped her head up from behind the counter. I even saw death marshals walk in the streets earlier. Karai muttered an oath. Exactly, the shopkeeper agreed, as she plunked down the requested items on the counter. She took Karai's money as she continued to gripe about the guild. Silently, Karai agreed with her every word. As Karai turned to go, the woman said, You look familiar. Have we met before? Her expression didn't change as Karai replied, I have one of those faces. Karai stayed in the basement of an abandoned mansion in the southern slums. Rats squeaked and scurried in the corners. A mansion down the street had burned to the ground, and she thought she could still smell a hint of the smoke. With a shrug, she collapsed into a dusty, discoloured chair and slept. The next day, the death marshals and guild guards swarmed even the southern slums. The guild's obsession with necromancers was grating to the extreme. She hadn't even killed that many people. A small frown tugged at her lips. She schooled her expression back into neutrality and took to the streets. Karai took seedy alleyways, back rooms, and any hidden storehouses she knew about. Before his demise, Nicodem's list of contacts throughout Malifaux had been impressive. She'd seen only a small piece of his empire. With speed and more than a few threats, she managed to slip through the ever-tightening guild net. As she emerged from an underground saloon that catered to rogue arcanists, Karai caught sight of the edge of the little kingdom. "'Almost there,' she mumbled." taking her first steps toward the Ten Thunders' territory. Stop! Reza! She turned to see a pair of guild guards pounding down the street toward her, their revolvers aimed at her. So close. Closing her eyes, she reached through the pane to death itself, and called. The guards crumpled, two masked phantasms standing behind them with dripping swords. The apparitions vanished as she crossed the threshold of the little kingdom. The Guild wouldn't dare chase her into Ten Thunders territory, she hoped. It wasn't long before Karai stood outside the Qing Gong, staring up at the building. This place, where it had all begun or ended. The first time she'd seen it, the Qing Gong's showy red paint, silk curtains, and extravagant decorations had impressed her with its lavishness. Madame Winter, its proprietress, possessed an air that made the place feel opulent. Now, without her commanding presence, it all seemed so garish and unnecessary. Karai considered the building for a moment. Maybe the Qing Gong hadn't changed, but she had. As she watched, lamps began to light up the windows. The silhouettes of young men and women wearing very little flitted past the curtains, enticing and mysterious. Music began to play. Perfume and candle smoke floated into the street. In the early hours of the night, the Qian Gong was beginning to wake up. The Karai who had worked here had hopes, dreams, and plans to get her family out of the three kingdoms. After Frances' death, after learning about how the guild worked, how the world worked, she realized that she had been naive. Though Madame Windsor had treated her well enough, she kept things from her workers. The things she claimed were possible often weren't. The Ten Thunders also made life a challenge. She exhaled. The only part of her life from then that she missed was Francis. Besides, she no longer fit here. That Karai was dead. She was weak anyway. She never would have made it in the end. The Karai she was today had Francis to thank for her strength. She loved him, but she also owed him a great debt. Karai stepped forward and reached out, creaking the door open before she could grab it. The huge man with bushy facial hair hauled a case of clinking bottles under each arm. He looked like the hired muscle he was. Fa, her old friend. Ankoku san, he said, as he caught sight of her. Then his mouth turned down. Madame Winter is no longer with us. I heard. Jean told me. That poor kid. Does he know that the fight was started deliberately? Renzo wanted him out. The man placed the crate on the ground and ran a meaty tattooed hand through his short dark hair. Renzo is still mad that you left before your contract was up. Even though he knows what happened. That is because he was not able to steal all my money at the time, Karai said. And because he is as heartless as I am. Far opened his mouth to protest, then studied her in her indifference. You weren't always this way. No, I was not. He heaved a sigh. What are you doing back here? I need the nice room at the end of the hall. He crossed his massive arms over his chest. I am going to resurrect Francis. That is not funny, Ankoku-san. Far grimaced in disgust. It is not a joke. After a moment, she added, you and everyone else should probably leave. The ritual is a dangerous one. He raised first one eyebrow, then the other. You're serious? Quite. I didn't believe it when I saw the wanted posters. He narrowed his eyes at her. I'd hoped that someone was framing you, that they weren't real. Believe what you like, she said, her expression blind. You should still leave. Necromancy is dangerous, he stated. Not as dangerous as I am, she replied. You had better go. Warn whomever you would like on your way out. I will take care of the others. You really have changed. The giant of a man who, nightly, stared down influential members of the guild, and easily tossed the most dangerous criminals in Malifo out onto the street, shrank away from Karai. He couldn't stop her, and he knew it. Whatever you do, do not hinder me, she told him. Far looked her in the eye and nodded. Boss Renzo won't go without a fight. Good. He shivered at her icy expression. What killed your kindness, Ankoku san? Go. Far rushed through the hallways of the pleasure house that masqueraded as a tavern. In a low voice, he warned the servants and staff There's going to be a fight. Young men and women wrapped silk robes around themselves as they rushed into the cool night air. With a clatter, the waitstaff placed trays of strong drinks and aromatic food on any nearby flat surface as they fled. Karai followed Far and glared at anyone who moved too slowly for her liking. They rushed past tables for gambling and through the kitchen. As Karai passed through one of the lounges, a young woman with a rosebud mouth and a cascade of dark hair chuckled at her and Far. She lay draped over a chaise longue. If yeah, it isn't Ankoku san, she spat the honorific out so it sounded like an insult. Is this little fight your idea? I've done the same thing, but I actually work here. Takara. If she wanted to die, Karai wasn't going to stop her. With an undeniable grace, the other woman slid off the chair and shadowed Karai, staying just out of the way. You know, after you vanished and Renzo kicked out Jan, I became top earner here, she said in her throaty voice. Madam Winter always discouraged competition among the staff, but not Renzo. He's been good for the Qiangong. I always hated Madam Winter. Karai changed her mind. I will kill you right here and now. She swung her shears toward Takara's throat. What the hell is going on? An angry nasal voice demanded from somewhere deep inside the Gong. That voice. Karai hesitated. She ground her teeth together in frustration. She thought she was past his betrayal. Her blade brushed Kara's skin, but didn't break it. The woman's mouth turned up in glee. She sang, You're in trouble. Like a snake, she slithered out of Karai's grasp. And he's furious. Good luck. Then, she was gone. What's this? The same voice snarled from the lounge doorway. Karai turned. A man dressed in the height of Three Kingdoms fashion stood with dozens of people ready to fight for him. He'd always tried to protect what he viewed as his. Now he had the means. Renzo, Karai acknowledged. Boss, Renzo, he corrected her sharply. Then he leered. What a beauty you are, Karai-chan. Unforgettable. Did you come back to work for me? I hear you have some problems that you could use some help with. He inspected his fingernails as though he were already bored with their conversation. He had changed too. She suppressed a shudder. Her face retained its neutral mask. You should leave, Karai told him, ignoring his attempt to goad her. He laughed. Are you really giving me a command in my own kingdom? Waving his hands at the excessive luxury, he said, We may have come through the breach together, but things ended up quite differently for us, did it not? you have a price on your head, and I run the Qingong. If he didn't get out of her way, he wouldn't be running much of anything. And your family? Karai asked. "'Still living their pathetic little lives in the Three Kingdoms?' he shrugged. "'At least Karai felt guilty about abandoning her family. "'Lorenzo she'd known would have.' "'Takara sauntered in and placed a calculated gentle hand on his sleeve. "'What?' he snapped. With the mew.' "'She brushed her fingers along her throat. "'A nasty welt marred her skin and oozed a trickle of blood.' Renzo's face turned red with rage. Who dared touch my highest earner? His. 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 He was obsessed with possessing people and things. Even so, he didn't own the Gong and never would. His pettiness and avarice would get in his way every time. Dramatically, Takara turned her gaze toward Karai and pointed at her. I should have known, Karai muttered under her breath. Karai. Renzo's voice was low and furious. She sighed, gripped her shears, and settled herself in a comfortable position. Shall we get this over, Renzo-kun? She beckoned with her hand. Boss, Renzo, he growled through gritted teeth. In the same breath, he snarled. Kill her the whisper of guns leaving their holsters, the click of hammers pulling back, and the hiss of steel leaving scabbards were welcome sound to Karai's ears. Being here, in this place, missing the Renzo she grew up with, talking to this infuriating doppelganger, she wanted a fight, needed one. Without any hesitation, she reached through the thin boundary that separated life from death and welcomed the agony that came with it. What the... Someone near the back of the group cried before his question was cut off with a wet gurgle. Two ghostly figures with long hair and expressionless masks tore through Renzo's rear ranks. Blood sprayed. Gore dripped. Limbs fell. Gunfire erupted. Screams. So many screams. A new horror poured forth from Karai's own body. Ikirio crowed with delight as she spun around, eviscerating those around her with ease. A psychic scream tore through her mind as one of her saishin fell. Then the other vanished in a cloud of smoke. Even with her spirit allies, Karai couldn't hold off all of Renzo's men alone. So she would become less human and more deadly. Karai gave her spirit a curt nod. The wraith grinned. An awkward gaping of her mouth. They melded. Karai tasted blood that wasn't hers. She felt the euphoria of pure wrath. She lost herself, her spirit, her body. She was a Kirio. They were vengeance. Karai. Through the fog of rage and revenge, Karai heard someone shouting something. That was her name, wasn't it? Or was she vengeance? Karai. With a soft gasp, Karai returned to herself. Blood covered her clothes and matted to her hair. Her shears gleamed red. The metallic smell both choked and soothed her. Jeanne's eye was wide. His head swiveled from side to side, taking in the corpses sprawled across the floor around them. He stood in a nearby hallway, hauling France's crumpled body in the wheelbarrow they'd stolen. His voice wavered as he asked, "'Are you Karai? "'Or are you a monster?' He seemed somehow far away. Both, Jean, she told him. Her voice sounded distant even to her. He stared at a bloody mess on the floor and stammered. Is that Boss Renzo? Karai prodded him with her toe. Was. Collapsing to his knees, Jian said, That was terrifying. You are terrifying. Thank you. Karai took in the carnage all around her. It didn't look like she'd killed any innocents, this time. Far and the other workers had vanished. The only thing to break the silence was the steady drip of fluids and a quiet moan. It seems the Qiangong is empty now, she said. Gesturing around them, Jian replied, Are you surprised? Karai shrugged, indifferent. "'What happened to you?' Jeanne asked, his voice a concerned whisper. "'Why does everyone keep asking me that?' "'Wasn't it obvious?' He blinked at her and opened his mouth a couple times to say something. His shoulders slumped, almost deflating. He gestured at his wheelbarrow. "'Where do you want him?' he asked, resigned. "'Upstairs. The room at the end of the hall.' Karai pointed. Jian began to go up the stairs, pulling the wheelbarrow up with him, a loud bump reverberating with each movement. The tall man gave her a strange glance, then said, The ghosts with the masks. Karai waited for him to finish. They remind me of you, he said. Deadly. Expressionless. Focused on Retribution. Perhaps that is why they are drawn to me, Karai replied as she followed Jian. That is what I also suspect. You don't find that disturbing, Karai. He paused to study her. Not anymore. He just frowned and continued up the stairs. At the top of the stairs, Karai squeezed around Jian and his precious cargo. She led the way to the farthest, most private room in the Gong. The wooden door had been replaced since she'd last been here. It opened with a small squeak. The filmy curtains were open. Dim lamps and flickering candles gave it a dreamy quality. Someone had tried to sand out and repair the bullet hole in the wardrobe instead of buying a new one. Unfamiliar, cheap perfume tickled her nose. It was her old room, but not. Still, this was where she had fallen in love with Francis. This is where he had died protecting her. This was where she would bring him back to life. And after that, she would never have to see this rat hole again. With that motivation, Karai got to work. She pointed at the bed. Put him there. From the bag she'd slung across her shoulders, Karai pulled out the soul stone she'd grabbed from the cemetery and a variety of artifacts. The odor of rare, expensive herbs burned her nose. A lot of people had died on both sides of the breach for her to acquire everything in her satchel. It was worth every life lost. She also set up candles and incense. She knew that some of these were hoaxes, but this wasn't just one ritual. It was an ill-advised amalgamation of rites and ceremonies from a handful of traditions, including knowledge stolen from Malifaux itself. But she was willing to try anything for Francis. Her Francis. She looked over to where Jeanne had placed him on the bed. With a grunt, she shoved the bed in front of the balcony, right over the spot where he'd died. Can I go now? Jian asked, his eyes darting from side to side. Yes. He stepped towards the door and hesitated before going through it. You know that if the Ten Thunders hear about what happened to the Gong, they will come to kill you. He rushed through his words. They can try. Jian shook his head. Goodbye, Karai. I hope our paths never cross again. That was likely for the best. She continued to set up her ritual. Thank you for your help. Quiet footsteps signaled his exit. With her clean shears, she snipped off a lock of Francis' hair. She dropped it into a small bowl that had gems embedded in the lip of it. The green jewels had the appearance of snakes wrapping around the vessel. Not unlike the ring Francis had given her so long ago. Karai pricked Francis' finger and squeezed out a drop of dark, thick blood into the bowl. Her deaf fingers untied the noose she'd taken from the hanging tree and placed it on Francis' body. More preparations, more artifacts, more blood. The ritual wasn't a short one. Karai had no idea how much time had passed. She swiped a trickle of sweat off her forehead and concentrated on controlling the power of the soul-stones. Melding their energy with the spiritual and magical currents from the artifacts was a delicate, dangerous process. Not that danger had ever deterred her before, but this time Francis was at stake. She could not make a mistake. Pushing away the guilt and the other emotions she lived with She spun threads of power into the pieces that would create a portal that pierced the veil. The sound of something scraping against the cobblestones drifted up from the street. Every instinct in her told her to make sure it wasn't a threat. Taking a deep breath, she instead returned to focus to her task. She sprinkled a herb mixture over a bowl, holding an opalescent fluid in a brazier that, based on its distinct decorative elements, came from this side of the breach. A wave of power emanated from the artefacts, The air above Francis' body shivered with a popping sound as a spiderweb of cracks formed between this world and death itself. The gate was opening. Karai felt her lips turn up in a tiny, victorious smile. There's time. Angry voices floated up from the street. They devolved into shouting, then gunfire and the clang of weapons. All expression evaporated from her face. Karai shook her head and stared back down at the diagram she'd brought with her. Ignore it, she mumbled to herself. The click-clack of snapping teeth answered her. Karai looked up. Jack Dorr crouched across the room from her, staring at her through his hangman's hood. I am a bit busy, Mr. Dorr, she informed him, her fingers creeping toward her shears. Are you here to hinder me? He shook his head in that feral way of his. She studied him for a moment, before turning back to her task. Pounding footsteps headed down the hall toward them. Jian threw the door open. What are you still doing here? Karai growled. Karai, the Ten Thunders, the new owner's people, and Guild Guardsmen are right outside the tavern door. They're here to kill you, if they don't kill each other first. His good eye landed on the figure in the corner. He sucked in a short, sharp breath. Jian, this is Jack Dor. He shuddered. This is the company you keep now. It did not sound like he approved. Apparently, Karai stated. Why did you not leave? I was leaving, but then I saw who was coming down the street. Jan pressed his lips into a flat line. I thought I should warn you. That was stupid. Jan glared at her. I suppose it was. Must you be such an ingrate? Yes. Because you put yourself in danger. His eye flicked back toward Jack. Can he hear us? I assume so. Jeanne gasped in fear. The crash of splintering wood came from below. Is this how I die? Jeanne groaned. You can try to climb the trellis back down, Karai said, as she ground something in a mortar and pestle. You didn't see how many armed people are down there, Jeanne snapped. Karai let out a small sigh. Or you can hide behind the wardrobe... Hopefully a stray bullet won't hit you. Jeanne tiptoed past Jack Dor. He followed him with his eyes. With a grunt, Jeanne pulled the wardrobe away from the wall, the feet scraping against the wood floor. He grimaced. Madame Winter would have hated to see those scratches. Well, it is a good thing she is dead, Craig glanced at him, the faintest hint of annoyance entering her eyes. She tilted her head toward Jack Dor. I assume that you have some interest in what I am doing, otherwise you would not continue to follow me around. Jack continued to stare at her in that unnerving fashion of his. Karai continued, her voice sure. So make sure they do not interrupt me, or I will not finish. Jack Dor stood, his limbs twitching and lurching in a distinctly unnatural way. Then he drifted out into the hallway. Karai's joints protested from holding the same position for so long she got up close to the door behind the odd being. She exhaled. The portal was a mere distraction away from collapsing or warping with unexpected consequences. Reaching into her connection with the dead, she began to manipulate the energies once again. In the distance, she heard more gunfire and screams. jian gasped. Hush! She poured a thin stream of scented oil into a bronze oil lamp. The lid went on with a faint ringing sound. A white flame danced on the wick that protruded from the small spout. Plucking threads from the curtain of death itself, she wove them with the various ceremonies she'd discovered over the last year. The veil shattered with a peal of thunder, giving way to a spectral whirlpool scented over France's corpse. Karai drooped forward, sweat pouring off her brow. Exhaustion suffusing every limb. The moment a phantasmal hand appeared in the gateway and began to reach toward Frances, she knew it was working. Her mask slipped as the triumphant smile crossed her features. Welcome home, my love. The door slammed open with a bang. Again, Jack Dorr meandered in. Smoke wafted up from some new bullet holes in his body. Grise smile vanished. Leaning to the side, she peered out of the open door. A shadow of movement and the sound of empty bullet casings bouncing down the stairs gave her enemies away. "'How many of them are out there?' Jeanne whimpered. Jack snapped his teeth together. "'At least close the door behind yourself,' Karai said. "'Do you want to make it easy for them?' "'Useless. She almost wished Mortimer was here to help her. "'Almost.' A glance at the portal told her that Francis still needed time. Karai pulled her blade out and readied herself for battle, despite how weak she felt from the ritual. Rapid gunfire turned the wooden door into splinters. Shall we, Mr. Dor? Karai gestured toward the hall. Together they descended on the men and women taking cover in doorways and clustered in the hall. Once more into the fray, Ekerio, Karai intoned into the veil. Karai's step faltered as her body became an entrance to the realm of the dead. Her Anru and Sai Shin charged. <music> Detached from emotion, her physical body, everything, Karai looked around her. Bodies and blood coated every surface. Jack Dor stood still, not even breathing, gore covering his arms. He watched her. As vengeance itself, Karai felt no pain. Infinite rage simmered just beneath the surface, ready for her to tap it. Something down the hallway caught her eye. The gate. It was not part of her revenge. It didn't matter. Or did it? A ghostly being was emerging from the portal. Its shadowy arms embraced its own corpse. Half its essence was still in the spectral plane. "'Francis,' she murmured. "'Unimportant.' "'The most important,' she said, coming back to herself, "'returning to her physical body. "'She felt blood cooling on her skin, tasted it on her tongue. "'Her nose filled with the smell of death. "'A faint dripping sound reached her ears. "'From her or Jack Dor. "'Did it matter?' "'Francis,' she repeated.' reaching her hand out and taking a stumbling step toward the bedroom. The apparition in the portal turned its head to look at her. He gave her the half-smile that made her heart flip in her chest. On shaking legs, she lurched toward him. My love. Reza! A low growl came from behind her. Looking back, Karai saw a guild guardsman, his leg ripped from his body, pointing his revolver at her, She threw herself to the side. Just as the guard pulled the trigger, Jack moved. Chittering, and with a speed Karai didn't know he possessed, Jack reached the guard and snapped his neck. Everything slowed down. The caustic smell of the gun burned her nose. The report of the gun made her ears ring. Turning her head toward the bedroom, she saw the brazier shatter, its smoke dissipating into nothingness, its magic melting away. "'No!' A breeze stirred in Karai's hair. A bone-deep wailing followed it. "'No!' she cried. "'The gate!' Her fragile ritual. It was coming undone. "'No!' The passageway linking Malifo to the abyss writhed like a living thing, trapping Francis' soul within it. His spectral form struggled. The portal convulsed. A blast of wind... Strong as a squall and smelling of sulphur, howled out of the opening. Jackdaw shoved Karai aside and made his way into the room. Something's wrong, Jeanne shouted, as though Karai needed his observation. Karai moved against the tempest, her bloody hair whipping at her face. If she could get there in time, she could save Francis. Only one thing could fix this. Her eyes found Jeanne cowering behind the wardrobe. A human sacrifice. His one good eye went wide as he saw her stalking him. Karai, we are friends. I do not need friends. You helped me. You said I was like your little brother. I am sorry. She drew her blade back. You don't look sorry, Jeanne screeched. Please, Karai, I don't deserve this. No, he didn't. He was innocent. She gritted her teeth. She needed to kill him. Right next to her, she heard teeth snap together and a low muttering. Jack door. Out of the corner of her eye, she noticed runes glowing wherever his bare skin was visible. She leaped back, immediately on the defensive. Jack, she warned. Burning runes appeared on Jeanne's skin. He screamed a terrible, gurgling sound. Uh, mine? Jack leaned forward and crushed Yann's skull with one hand. As the life left him, Jack held him so that the last of his life's blood poured over Francis and what was left of the brazier. Karai started. Jack Dor knew what the ritual needed. She stared at the portal willing it to regain its balance. As the wind's keen began to die down, France's soul began to move again. She exhaled in relief. Jack wandered toward the portal. Digging a bullet out of his flesh, he dropped the deformed metal into the bronze oil lamp with a ping. What was he? A ripple inside the portal caught Karai's attention. Another soul was pushing its way through. What have you done? she snarled. The gateway wasn't stable enough for two souls, much less at the same time. She reached for the threads of power, began to manipulate them, but everything was happening too quickly. The portal contracted and expanded. Cracks formed in the very air around it. Francis' spirit reached one hand desperately toward his body and one toward her, fighting against the other life trying to make its way through. The other soul pushed him back toward death. And then... With a flash of lightning and the sound of a thousand windows shattering, the portal exploded. The force knocked Karai to the ground. The primal roaring drowned out all other sound. Jack Daw clutched at his head, moaning, screaming, cackling, and thrashing about. Swaying, Karai picked herself up, rushing to France's side. Karai gripped her love's hand. It was warm. Alive. His eyes opened. Francis, she breathed. But his gaze was empty, devoid of any consciousness. Where was the man she loved? She turned to where Jack Dor shuddered in the corner. He looked up at her, his eyes staring at her through his hood. For the first time, they were aware, as though he had a soul. He had manipulated her. This was what he was after the entire time. You planned this, she spat. Bastard. In a whirl of blades and rage, she lunged at Jack. He laughed as his suddenly fluid movements twisted him out of harm's way. Raising her hands, she snatched at the veil, shoving every bit of her power into shackling Jackdaw's spirit. He slipped out of her control. He was a spirit, but also too much like Nicodemus zombies, and he was too firmly anchored to his withering body. She panted as he slipped out of her grasp, and she broke the connection. Instead, she called forth the spirits of the dead in and around the Gong. Kill him, she commanded. Ethereal creatures swarmed Jackdaw. They vanished into wisps of smoke as he tore them apart with his bare hands. Others he cursed with his glowing runes. The entire time he muttered with chattering teeth. Directions or a chant, as though he was trying to find his way. Calling Akiryo, Karai became vengeance once more and sped toward him. Jack dodged blow after blow, choking out broken sounds with each evasion. His voice echoed and overlapped, hanging in the air like a snake's hiss. Frentice. You will not say his name, Karai screamed. He paused and tilted his head in confusion. The echo stopped. Memories? Behind his hood, his eyes went wild. No! No! With a flailing fist, he struck through her incorporeal state, through Ikirio, and straight into her physical body. Karai felt and heard her ribs break as she landed hard against the wall. She choked and wheezed as she tried to inhale. Shrieking and clawing at his face, Jack Jackdaw careened down the hallway, hurtling past Karai. Crawling across the floor, she reached for her shears, but she was too late. Jack Jackdaw was gone. Bastard, she choked out. His cackling laughter echoed off the buildings of the Little Kingdom and reached her through the window. Shouts of surprise, terrible screams of the dying, and gunshots followed his shrieks as he made his way down the streets. Karai ignored the sounds of chaos coming from down below. Turning, her eyes sought the body on the bed. She grimaced as stabbing pain shot through her broken ribs. Writhing in an agony that went far beyond the physical, Karai dragged herself to the bed and collapsed next to Francis. He didn't react, not even to blink. An empty vessel with a soul now out of reach. A keening wail tore itself from her throat, the devastation of her loss complete. What had she done? Mm. That's it for another episode of the Breachside Broadcast. Join us next time for more Tales of Malifaux.